Okay. I wanted to try something really quick before we really got into the intro. Okay. Eli, you're half donkey. <laughs> half goat? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, you're just, you're, so I go, Eli, you're half donkey? He goes, I'm half, and you go, I'm half goat. Half goat. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. Eli, you're half donkey? Half goat. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about movies, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. Today, we're going to be talking about Percy Jackson and the Olympians, primarily the uh, 2010? Yeah, primarily the 2010 feature film, but also delving a little bit into his 2013 sequel. So we'll start off kind of as we usually do. Uh, I have a couple questions. Eli, what's your exposure to Percy Jackson? Because I think that this is the episode that is going to alienate us. It's going to alienate me to like any Zoomer <laughs> listeners. They're going to listen to this and they're going to they're going to hate. They're going to peg me as a hater. Yeah, I I mean I don't I don't dig this movie, Colin. <laughs> what's your, have you read the books? I did, so I read the first book, and I think it's because I was too old for to like be on the train when the first book came out it mm. like just missed me and so I knew what it was and I had read the first book and I was kind of like well that was fun but I didn't feel any need to read the rest of the series or any of the follow-up like side series of which there are a lot yeah it's a it whole extended because it gets into like Roman gods and, and other Egyptian I, and like yeah. Norse I get, yeah, all the other, our, our younger, any younger listeners we might have are going to be hearing this and seeing like, like they know nothing. They don't know what, <laughs> they don't know anything they're talking about, which is why we have a Twitter. So you can yell at us and tell us. We're exactly. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have any of this nostalgic love for this story that I think a lot of people really do. And so I have, I enjoyed some like weird quirks of this movie, but overall I think it really falls into the trap of bad movies made out of decent, like, young lit books. I'm going to take an even stronger stance and just come out as actually a hater on Percy Jackson writ large. (laughs) Or no, not writ large. Percy Jackson at large. Sure. Because mostly is, I think it's, 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 again, I think it's an age thing because you and I are of the age that the biggest cultural phenomenon in our young lives was the Harry Potter franchise. Absolutely. Yep. Coming out, I was about, oh, I was probably about eight, maybe nine. Yeah. Maybe a little, no, maybe I was a little older. I was about 10 when I got into those books. Because I, I remember I was about the same age. I was reading them and I was I was not quite 11 yet. So there yep. was the like getting the letter in the mail. Yep. Yeah. We're of that generation that like grew up with those stories as we were that age and I remember yeah. like being that old waiting for like I was 13 mm-hmm. waiting for the third book to come out or something and mm-hmm. yeah it was very a huge part of my childhood exactly and and I stand by like JK Rowling's recent whatever it is she's doing aside Ugh. her her Twitter persona and, mm-hmm. and, and public image yeah. all that aside I stand by the Harry Potter books as fantastic YA series and just a fantastic series in general I agree and I've read I think the first definitely the first one of the Percy Jackson books and I'm was my my takeaway I'm like this is Harry Potter but worse this is <laughs> well I mean it is it, it can't it can't get away from that it it's it, it yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> the it's it's your classic. I mean, it's not that Harry Potter invented the child living a presume a, a, an otherwise mundane existence finds out that they're special and is whisked off to a magical world where they you know learn and experience all these magical things. Harry Potter didn't invent that, but it, it really kind of I think was a sort of gold standard and really like locked that down. For sure. And this franchise feels. Not only sort of just generally derivative to Harry Potter in a lot of very like kind of just obvious ways where it's like Harry Potter spends his school year at Hogwarts and then during the summer he goes back and lives with the Dursleys and Mm -hmm. then this is reversed. He like 
Percy Jackson goes to school, and then during the summer he goes to magical half blood camp. Yeah, where he you know gets into he gets his like magical training. So it is the Harry Potter model, but also I thought that it had like one percent of the charm and appeal. And and I guess yeah. uh, I haven't read in the later books, so I can't testify to that. But the Harry Potter books get sort of heavy or like yeah they get kind of heavy and serious yeah. and they tackle issues that i think that resonate not just with with younger readers but with people generally there's a lot of sort of pathos and, and emotional weight to the harry potter series and i read these i'm like this is just kind of derivatives so this movie my 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 takeaway is that this movie is sort of in that way is doubly derivative it's a movie that's derivative of other movies based on a story that's derivative of another story it's it's doubly derivative and it's like it's like the waluigi of movies it's like like you had mario mario was great and then you had luigi who's like mario but a little different you know he's a little taller he's got green he's a little skinnier and then you've got wario which is you know mario but evil and to, to complete that that square the punnett square of mario genetics whether it's it's good evil short tall you get Waluigi, who is just a cursed being. He's because at least Wario, like the pun works because right. like W is M upside down and right. Wario kind of means something. But with Waluigi, it doesn't, you can't do that with Luigi. And so you just end up with this weird, cursed, tall purple guy who's just just makes everyone uncomfortable. Well, this movie made me very uncomfortable. Yes, so. it. It did make me uncomfortable. So it, yeah, my takeaways, yeah, it's sort of unoriginal as far as movies go, and its source material is not particularly original beyond that either. Mm-mm. But now that we've sort of gotten that aside, and and are probably many listeners, because because Percy Jackson is also one of those things that I think we have to. Percy Jackson is a thing that we actually confront in our like professional lives sometimes. Because yeah. I think for a lot of people, particularly mm-hmm. a lot of people who are now in sort of like college age that we might be teaching or uh, working with as sort of undergraduates and even graduate students had exposure to sort of the Greek mythology world through Percy Jackson. So I think even though this movie is not particularly interesting to talk about in and of itself as a movie, I think the larger phenomenon that it fits into is kind of interesting. For sure. Yeah. And well, I remember when I was a master's student at the University of Iowa, like half the kids who came into myth class were like, oh, I'm here because I liked Percy Jackson. Or I remember mm-hmm. that because it was in Percy Jackson. Or all it really came up quite a lot. And that was if, like a few years ago now. And I imagine that it still holds... Uh, this sort of place as an introductory sort of door for a lot mm-hmm. of people to be like, hey, what what is this about? Like, yeah, a door to sort of think about learning more about the ancient world. And I think that that is problematic because it, the way that it sort of uses ancient history and mythology is is problematic in itself. <laughs> and so it's, yes. it's sad. I think I know where you're going with this, but don't stop. <laughs> okay. It's sad to sort of see that, I guess, be the thing that gets a lot of people into myth classes because, and there's a great Eidolon article about this. I can't say his name. Maxwell Paul? Pauly? I can't, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. He wrote this great article on <laughs> the whitening thief. <laughs> and it really explains quite a lot of my feelings about this sort of latent white supremacy and uncomfortable Americanization of Greek mythology that does very little to actually talk about the ancient world in a nuanced and interesting way. Yeah, because like the conceit as I remember it, and I remember reading this and thinking to myself like, I don't like that. The conceit in the Percy Jackson books is that because the sort of the inevitable, the question is like, what are the Greek gods doing in 21st century yeah. America? And the conceit is that the Greek gods follow Western mm-hmm. civilization, right? It's like they they are the gods of of the 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 energy or spirit or whatever of Western civ, and it was sort of originated in Greece, and then it moved to like Rome, and then like Paris and London, and then over to yeah. the United States, which for probably many of you are kind of like thinking about that, that's 
a one sort of historically flawed and b yep. problematic even if it's even if it's not intentional because it sort of premises it premises that there's this like uncomplicated through line from greek civilization through to our own which i think ignores a lot of sort of historical nuances and also just the vast degree of difference between the say yeah. 5th century greece and 21st century the united states to say nothing about all the ways that sort of all the history in between that of people looking back on the past and sort of presenting it or representing it so as to be in mm-hmm. line with their own political, religious, cultural ideologies uh, and things like that. We are going to link to uh, this article yeah. and a few others, I think, For when sure. we post on Twitter because that are going to explain it in words much better and yes. smarter than ours at this moment <laughs> in the podcast. Yeah, but I think it's hard to even talk about this movie or story briefly without sort of getting that out there. No, I like you're you're totally right. Like we need to front load that because it's this kind of weight that I think drags the series down. And it makes me think in contrast another cuz a sort of alternative way to getting at this kind of problem, maybe not one totally suited for say a YA audience, but is like Neil Gaiman's American yeah. Gods, where the premise is you have all kinds of gods from all kinds of cultures and time periods and things like that. And, the, and they, they have arrived in America through various means of people coming to North America, whether it's sort of like the first people that came over on the Bering Strait. How long ago long was that? Time? I don't. <laughs> long time ago. Long in a galaxy, in a, galaxy, in a, in a straight <laughs> far, far. Yeah. A long time ago in a, in a straight yeah. far, far away. And to sort of immigrants at the various sort of waves of immigration and peoples that have come into yeah. North but America. But also, like, yeah, recognizing that some of those immigrations were forced, captive immigrations mm-hmm. and the sort of dragging of um, gods and culture to a place where they didn't want to be, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, part of the history of America that we tend to ignore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 the circumstances and situations that people who come to America and the sort of the kinds of lives that they they face or forced to face and that kinds of thing. And why we have this, like the reality of the different sort of, cause I think that, that those, that book is like an exploration of like, yeah. like immigration in America and its various facets, which is, I think very fascinating culture. And then also as a way to also think about sort of modern American culture and, and our quote unquote yeah. gods, things like television or the radio internet. or yeah. the internet. So yeah, so that, that, no, that, that conceit is out of the way. We can talk about just this movie itself. And so I mentioned the, we, 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 we mentioned up front the Harry Potterness <laughs> that this is like, this movie is to Harry Potter what the Divergent movies was to yes, Hunger Games. That makes sense. Where sort of a youth fantasy. And also I think the, the analogy works because the Divergent movies also didn't a get full a arc. full yeah. No, they they because after the after the second one, they started going like direct to TV like or something that. like that. Or they that. said that they were going to make like a show, but then it never happened. Something happened, something like that. Yeah, but they were, like, didn't yeah, have it, a final it, installment. Yeah, Harry Potter got all you know a movie for each book and and two movies for the last book. Hunger Games got a movie for each book, two mm-hmm. movies for the last book. Percy Jackson <laughs> got two movies. It got picked up by Disney. Um, so there's there's hypotheticals about a TV show. But that's all. That's a that's right. a twinkle in the eye, and Divergent sort of petered out. But I think people also were very quick to pick up on the fact that Divergent is not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just it's it's more Hunger Games. <laughs> yes. But and in the same way, so yeah. That, so the 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 premise of Percy Jackson is is sort of there's a there's this young kid who's lives an otherwise mundane existence with his mom and his horrible stepdad who is played by. I, call, I always call him Joey Pants, but that's not his name, uh, because it's Joe Pantoliano, who's Cypher from The Matrix, which is why he's so unlikable. And Percy sort of finds out that he is, in all in one sort of sweeping move, he finds out that he's not only a demigod and the son of Poseidon, but that he's been accused of stealing Zeus's Thunderbolt, which is like the nuclear arms <laughs> codes of the Olympic world. And Zeus thinks that or somebody has stolen the bolt. And if, if, if the bolt is not returned, the gods are all going to go to war. And Percy has been accused of this. And, and also, as he's trying to escape the dark forces that are hunting him, his mother is kidnapped by 
a minotaur and taken down to Hades. And so then Percy and his friends, Annabeth and Grover, one who's the daughter of Athena, the others who is a satyr, they have to go on a quest across the United States to collect these MacGuffins and then eventually get down to, it's always, it's either a box or a crystal, or in yeah. this case, it's a pearl. Well, it's, it's the video game like again. It's the video game plot. It's, yeah. It's MacGuffins. Uh, and then they get, so they get to Hades, they rescue Percy's mom. Percy has to confront the real thief, who was actually another camper, the son of Hermes, named Luke. They fight. Percy gets up to Olympus, returns the lightning. Everything's yeah. simpatico. Roll credits. <laughs> uh, oh. I mean, I just, why did they think he took the lightning bolt? And how did the other kid get the lightning bolt? And <laughs> I have so many like existential like questions. Is yes. this your cars? Is is this your this yes. is this is the cars universe for you? Where it's like, how does how does do these people just live at the I, camp I all don't the know. time? In the books, they all like go back to their normal, or most of them, I think, go back to like regular human civilian lives, and then they just come to the camp for summer to get. Their I God don't even on, remember. I think <laughs> again, yeah, uh, the zoomers at your keyboards, smashing your heads against your, your laptops. Hit us on Twitter and just tell us how wrong. Please help us old, old people understand what is going on. Yeah, no, I, I had the, you wrote it down, but I had the exact same question. Why does everybody think Percy stole the lightning bolt? Because Percy is completely yeah. oblivious. He seems to be the only demigod that does not know about his own, his yeah. own patronage. All he knows is that his 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 dad is no longer in the picture, and his mom now lives with this this horrible, smelly uh, Joey pants. <laughs> yeah, and he has like one friend at school who's his, who's bodyguard. his bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he he has no so he friends. Has no friends. And he has no idea, and he's supposed to be like super hidden from everybody. So then, why why mm -hmm. do they like point yeah. at him? Why is it him? <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, the conceit is. I agree. That is a massive sort of leap. It, there is like a if like there's a leap, like a chasm of logic that this this yeah. movie has to clear, and it gets like not yeah. even a third of the way there. Because yeah, he has no clue, and other people know that he has no clue. Chiron and Grover yeah. are totally in on. Presumably, the gods know that Percy has grown up in ignorance of this this yeah. world around him. I mean, there's a necessity for for is. Because Percy, like Percy, has that kind of character, much like Harry Potter. He needs to be sort of alien or outside of this magical world, so that it can be introduced to him, sort of, and by by right. extension to us, the reader. Like we sort of experience this world through Harry's uh, <laughs> eyes, or in this case, <laughs> Percy's eyes. So I get sort of from a, a sort of conceit of storytelling why that's the case. But then, yeah, the the why he's maybe it's explained better in the books. Again, at us at Twitter at Dig Movies. But if he's so hidden, the other the monster like the Fury finds him. By the way, the 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 the, the actor playing Miss Dodds, the way she was looking at Percy, deeply uncomfortable. deeply uncomfortable. That was very weird. I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> this shouldn't. No. Yeah, she she had. I mean, I, I think like maybe that was good because that's what they're going yeah. for. That actor nailed it. The actor is. Maria Olsen. Cool. Yeah, no, she was creepy. Uh, it was, it was yeah, good. like really uncomfortable. So Percy <laughs> goes on this field trip. He goes to the Met. He realizes that what he thinks is dyslexia is, is allows him to read ancient Greek. Wow. I think I saw a typo in the ancient Greek. Oh, I, I didn't have time to, to follow up on it. But his substitute teacher turns out to be a fury. And she's like, where is the lightning? I was like, how did they find him? And I, like you said, why did they oh, think he oh. has a lightning bolt? Because later we find out, not to give away the spoils, the real thief was his camper, his campmate, Luke, who's the son of Hermes, and just seems to be kind of a sneaky guy. Because they do have that scene where they go into Luke's tent, and Luke's got, like, like a PlayStation and all this, yeah. like, TV and all this other stuff that presumably he stole. That's sure. that's the yeah. vibe we're getting, that he's, like, he's a sneaky guy, which makes sense because yeah, no, he's the son of Hermes. Totally he's tracks. the god of sort of boundary-crossing boundary thieves, cattlemen... <laughs> Cowboys exchanges uh, above and below board. That's what Hermes is the god of. So, and he and Hermes or Luke, sorry, not Hermes. Luke talks about having, you know, he he broke into his dad's house and stole a bunch of stuff like these flying shoes. And so Luke actually stole the lightning bolt. And then it seems that 
during this whole hubbub. So somehow in that commotion, the theft of the lightning bolt got pinned on Percy, which is what motivates the plot. And then Luke, now that he who has the lightning bolt, because Luke steals the lightning bolt because he resents his parents for having him and sure. abandoning him, or particularly his dad. And he feels that the gods, for their sort of negligence and selfishness, should be punished. So he wants this war to break out so they'll all destroy each other. So Luke then hides the lightning bolt in a shield that he gives to Perseus. Perseus. <laughs> Percy. Per- <laughs> yeah. Perseus. Fun aside. It almost is work. This is actually, here's my headcanon. So Perseus is the subject or the addressee of a poem by <laughs> Hesiod. <laughs> And which Hesiod tells Percy's how to be a better person and not to be lazy and not to like give in to bribe swallowing kings. So that's really his. So I'm going to keep calling, I'm going to keep calling Percy that's Percy because he's just a bad, he needs to, he should just start farming. <laughs> be that would be better for him. Yeah. So yeah. So then Luke says that he like sees the opportunity for Percy to take the lightning bolt down to Hades as in the process of rescuing his mom. Why can't he just do that himself? <laughs> I don't know. Again, like very little of this makes sense. The the plot holes are, are gaping. And well, I think the funniest thing is that so to like get down to the underworld in the first place, they're supposed to go find Persephone's pearls or something. And that mm-hmm. was apparently not in the books, which I tr- truly did not remember, but something that they added. Admittedly. I read the, when I read the books, I was staying with my sister and her, my nephew, he has the books because he's 12 or at the time he was, I think like eight or nine. And I was hanging out at the house and I saw these books. I'm like, I've heard of these books, never read them, going to take a crack. And I'm pretty sure I read it in a single (laughs) night and went to sleep and promptly forgot about it. (laughs) Well, the whole pearls, find the pearls thing is not even in the books. It was added um, to this like, movie plot to for some reason i guess because they needed something to do and the author hated it and was like please take this out it makes absolutely no sense um and like published some of the emails that he sent to the screenwriters it was like everything is terrible please stop this (laughs) yeah he's gone on record basically kind of complaining about how little he was consulted and how much they deviated from his source material yeah and i think fans also kind of uh, and this is not unusual to, to any movie. I'm, I'm thinking particularly if you remember the Aragon movie. Oh, God. Which yes. deviated. deviated, <laughs> And in retrospect, not like the source material was, eh, but it was like a functioning story. And yes. it definitely worked on a lot of young readers. Mm-hmm. That movie woof, was terrible. Was yeah, not it was really bad. That's a movie that, that I think the guy who directed it was like never worked again. Um <laughs> It was that kind of movie. Speaking of direction, totally to have a side plot, to, to, to have one more sort of just point of oh, yes. this movie actively trying to be Harry a, a more successful franchise that came before it. Because who did they hire to direct this movie? But Chris Columbus, mm-hmm. who directed the first two yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah, the first two Harry Potter movies. Which is like, it reminds me of like when they brought on Joss Whedon to direct parts of justice league because they're like joss whedon you know superhero team movies because you yeah. did that very successful avengers movie right help ours out and then the same thing with chris columbus and, and even in retrospect i think the first two harry potter movies are probably my least favorite i i mean i have i think nostalgic feelings about the first one mm-hmm. but the second one is is not my favorite no I have no strong feelings about the Harry Potter movies, I think. There are largely. some that I like more than others, but I think it's, just, yeah. it's sort of like they represent a best case scenario for turning a YA mm-hmm. book into a movie. Um, and I think they had the budget and the support and like, you know, yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, the, yeah, they, they, they did just in terms of turning popular fantasy novels into into books like. Harry Potter did it. Narnia couldn't do it. Mm-mm. Nope. Hunger Games did it pretty successfully. Divergent couldn't do it. This one sort of petered out. Like like Divergent petered out. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So there's so now we're on this 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 quest with Percy and his and his two companions. And Hermione and Ron. Hermione and Ron. <laughs> yes. The the smart girl and the comic yeah, relief. Yeah, comic relief. Mm-hmm. Character. Yep. 
And Grover, even in the movie, because, yeah, that act, this is another thing that we, we, we talked about. So when we get to Camp Half-Blood, there's a couple things that jump out to me about Camp Half-Blood. Yes. In addition to Pierce Brosnan being a centaur. <laughs> <laughs> and having a terrible wig. Yes. But first of all, what do you think the average age of the camper is at Camp Half-Blood? 24. <laughs> <laughs> they all look like... They they look, look so I, I wrote old. this note, I'm like, they all look like grown-ass adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is especially apparent in the, I think, like, Logan Lerman looks believably like he could be a teenager. Well, he, yeah, he was the only one who was a teenager. I think he was 18. Oh, okay. And the rest of them were not. They were in their 20s. Yeah, and, like, there's, like, many, many times where you have, you know, people playing high schoolers well into their 20s, or if you're Justin Long playing it into your 30s. <laughs> Yes. But this can't, like, just the extras, the extras have, like, they are the musculature of, like, stuntmen. Yes. And, like, full-on beards. And they look like they're, and, like... <laughs> yeah. They're, like, they're, like, grown-ass adults yeah. who apparently hang out at a summer camp all the time. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really apparent in the sequels, uh, or in the sequel, excuse me, singular, where... Alexandra Daddario, particularly, she looks like because she at the she would have been like her late twenties at the yeah. time. She looks like she's in her late twenties. Yeah. Logan Lerman is looks like I mean he would have been twenty one, but he like he looks like a twenty something year old. Yeah. Brandon T. Jackson looks like he's thirty. <laughs> I think he probably was. Yeah, he would have been something like twenty nine yeah. when that movie came out. Which I think I mean it is something that is done now it's sort of, we age up people who are supposed to be in high school to their 20 uh, to actors in their 20s but i think it's more problematic that percy jackson was supposed to be 12 in the story oh really yes in the book he is oh, 12 just like harry potter just like harry potter and so it's yeah mm. one of the author's like big critiques was like stop don't age them up because if you want to keep making sequels it's like them they're going to be in their 30s. <laughs> you know, they're not going to Yeah, at least like with Harry Potter, they got all the they got Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert and uh Emma Watson like They were young. They were really they're if you go back now and you look at them you're like, "Oh my god, babies." Baby. Yeah. And you watch them over the course of what eight movies yeah. grow into adults and like by the end they're I think a little bit older than they're supposed to be, right. but like it's fine. We've physically watch them grow up. My, my personal favorite, I think, is in Goblet of Fire, where there's that movie where all of the, the male actors just, like, independently grow really long hair, which absolutely happened. I think it was when I was in, like, ninth grade, eighth grade or ninth grade, all the boys just showed up after one, myself included, with just very long, really hair. long hair. It was just, like, a phase that, ever, that just happened yeah. and everyone did it. And that was, like, for me, that was, like, the most relatable part of those movies. It's just, like, one movie, everybody has, like, these, like, long shaggy hair they just look like awkward teenagers yeah. yeah in the way that yeah in the way that a bunch of teenage boys grow their hair out so yeah no that that's true this this movie didn't maybe they'd never they'd never planned on making more movies or something because i think the the sequel deviated from the source material even more the sea of monsters deviated from the books even more and in fact kind of combined the plots of i think the second and the fifth book or something like oh, that geez. they were really kind of i think trying to to rush, move the plot along. Right. So anyways, yeah. So Percy Jackson's at this, this half-blood clan, half-blood camp full of like 20 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the other thing is like when they're all training, cause I guess it's supposed to be like, they are people living in the modern 21st century, but they're all training. They're all wearing like sweaters and jeans and like converses and you see kids and they're like doing obstacle courses and sword fighting and doing flips. And they're all, they look like they're like gap models that somebody put armor <laughs> over their gap clothes. And they're like, all right, it's just like, what, what, what was going on here? I, I don't know. So he goes to Camp Half-Blood, meets Chiron for reals, you know, meets, meets Annabeth, who also like, Oh, so we mentioned that yet. So he meets Anna. We, we went on a tangent. I know. There for a I second. can't remember like where we were. Starting <laughs> we were, we were from. talking about the companions. Okay, so, so he yeah. has Annabeth, <laughs> who is the sort of it's Hermione. Smart. Yeah, yeah. She's her, her her she's smart. That's her thing. She's the daughter of Athena, and Grover, who's just kind of there. But he, oh my god, he just says, 
I, I wrote, I don't know if I wrote down on the, any of the like lines that he has, but like, like the one we opened with, he's like, I'm half goat. Yeah. And he just has these lines that are supposed to be jokes. And I was like, what? Or he's like, he's like, that's how you drive. He says things like that. Yeah. It's, he's supposed to be like the punchy comic relief and it, it just sort mm-hmm. of lays very flat. Yeah. I, it would have been, I would have really loved if he had just like, at one point was like, now this is pod racing. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that level of humor yeah. like i don't know who wrote so his jokes don't work for me no annabeth keeps telling us that she's supposed to be smart and like a strategy master she doesn't really do anything no not really like she's just kind of yeah. there yeah um and she's really good at fighting they have this capture the flag they have the, their, their capture the flag is apparently just war games uh, where the, the kids just, just full-on fight each other with weapons. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everybody was always getting hurt. Like, mm-hmm. when they were in, uh, like, the hospital tent or something, it's like everybody around him was, like, really seriously injured. <laughs> Another moment, just a minor point about the design of this movie. In the hospital where he looks over and he sees somebody in the next, like, in the next cot getting bandaged, that dude's wearing jeans, and the nurse or whoever is putting the bandage on <laughs> over the jeans it's just lazy i don't know what this maybe this maybe like old did old navy have like a like a product placement deal and like all of the characters had to be wearing jeans at all times i don't know seems like apple right. had a product placement yeah which actually that's the perfect segue because now we got to get to we got to get we're just going to go through this movie plot point by plot point <laughs> and be like what's going on so they get on so they have to get these three pearls of power because they need the, the pearls of power are your 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 escape parachute for the underworld. When it's easy to get down, hard to get out, you need one of these pearls that apparently Persephone leaves out for her lovers for them to sort of make quick getaways after they're visiting her in the underworld. So they have a series of stops. First one is, uh, and sort of like building on the source material, the first one is Medusa. Medusa has one of these pearls. And Percy sort of has to relive his... Because I think in the books, the idea is that all of the Greek myths and the heroes and stuff, those guys were all real. They did those things. But there's something about the monsters that, like, the monsters get. Because I think at one point, Percy asks, like, wait, I thought, like, the, when there's a Minotaur, he's like, I thought Theseus killed the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. And the answer is like, yes, he did. But these monsters get sort of revitalized every so often. They just sort of come. Like, there's always going to be another Minotaur. Makes no or sense. in, like, the sequel, there's, like, Polyphemus is there. The Cyclops that Odysseus faces. So, Mer- so Medusa's there, and she gets her he- she gets her head chopped off again by Percy through a bit of product placement for the the back of the iPod. Because <laughs> when iPods used to have the when people used to have iPods, right. and the back was that shiny silver, mm-hmm. he uses that. I kind of like that. I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> Which, yeah, I guess it's like 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 how can we be irreverent and like smash together twenty first century with 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 mythology? Which leads me to another sort of little grievance I have with this movie, which is one of the differences between I'm just, we're going to keep coming back to Harry Potter, but yeah. like this and Harry Potter, whereas in Harry Potter, Harry is discovering the world of Hogwarts and the wizarding world larger for the first time. And it's original. He never knew about any of this. He's coming. And every time he goes somewhere, somebody has to kind of explain, you know, like what this is and what it does and how it works, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like a port key or, flu powder or yeah. quidditch yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to get that snotch harry <laughs> there's a great harry potter comic or a comic on harry potter that kind of this like just look up snotch um, we'll put it on twitter but the the difference here is that the myths like people already know the greek myths in this world mm-hmm. so they kind of already have the the, the source book for themselves because they get like oh it's medusa we beat her by looking through reflections right or we can't look we know we can't look her in the eyes we got to look through reflections and then all of the characters and the just the movie generally is very selective about which myths they know mm-hmm. and which ones they don't know because perseus or percy recognizes that it's medusa and right. he knows like oh i beat her this way because he knows the myth but then in other times they're like what's this yeah i'm thinking of like the lotus flowers that they eat Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it's like um, Odysseus. Yeah, they go to the Lotus Casino. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the we're skipping a, a thing, but the, the third trial they go to is they go to the Lotus Casino where a bunch of people are offering them these flowers. 
yeah. Just a shout out. This is one of Odysseus's sort of obstacles in his quest. And they make you forget, and they make you want to sort of stay around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happens to them. But they don't. They don't think that. They don't. Which have that. The cas- uh, like, this is probably credit more to Rick Riordan than the the film because like the the casino as the modern Lotus Eater that actually. Like, oh, that works. That's kind of uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, the, the analogy is pretty airtight. Yeah. The way that, like, you can you go to, like, a Vegas casino and it's, you like, lost. four in the morning. And you, <laughs> you get, yeah, it's, like, four in the morning and there's somebody still, like, out the slot machines. So, yeah, they get, and they get Uma Thurman. We also, oh. another aspect. How did they get these, these people to be in this movie? <laughs> Uma Thurman, who is chewing the scenery. I think, like, when, when the camera's not on her, she's actually just, just munching on all those statues. <laughs> She is chewing the scenery. She is one of my favorite podcasts would say she uh, she took a dip in the river of ham for a big <laughs> giving us a big old ham sandwich to munch on. They yeah. yeah, she is really she is leaning into her. She's like, I used to date your daddy. <laughs> that it's should have been what we, that's, that's, we should have we should have opened the podcast with that. Yeah. Line. I used to date your daddy. But again, it makes me so uncomfortable. I'm just like, this is not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, so they get Uma Thurman. And yet we could just run through the actors that they got for this movie. They got Sean Bean, Kevin the Kid. Again, actors that crop up in yes. ancient movies. Because mm-hmm. he's Varanus in Rome. I refuse to, yeah, call him anything else. Just like when he came on screen, I was like, oh. Yeah. Rosario Dawson, Uma Thurman, Catherine Keener, and Steve Coogan. All fantastic living actors who just get you know they jump in for a minute they do their thing they have a little gimmick most of them really chew the scenery i think sean beans just being sean bean same with kevin mckid i know i feel like they almost they had no personality they just sort of stood there mm-hmm. which was sad they're great actors there's one scene i do kind of like in the sequel that is pure fan service, but it works for me. I don't know who that movie was for. Cause yeah. so there's a scene where they go and they meet with Hermes and Hermes is played by Nathan Philly. Oh, I did watch this part. <laughs> yeah. And there's like, he's trying, he's just kind of, you know, being Nathan Philly and hamming it up. And there's a part where he gives them like a thermos that's got the winds in it. And it's a thermos for this TV show. And he's like best TV show ever. So they canceled it. And which I was like, that was a joke for me. Yes. I don't know how many kids watching this movie got that joke. I don't know no how one. many how many Zoomers are big Firefly enthusiasts. Yeah, nobody. So got I don't know who that joke was for. <laughs> but yeah, so they get the, the the sequel. I think also notably had five million dollars fewer to work with. Mm. Uh, this movie's budget was something like ninety five million. The sequels was ninety million. They both made the money back globally, but it wasn't really a huge. They weren't really huge box office successes. Uh, cumulative worldwide, eh, 20, uh, 226 million. Um, I mean, yeah. I Only made 88 domestically, so it, it lost about $7 million domestically. I mean, yeah, mm. I guess but, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think it's noticeable because the, the cast roster in the first movie yes. is much deeper Absolutely. than in the second movie. Because yes. in the sequel, they recast Pierce Brosnan's Chiron as Anthony Head, mm-hmm. the the trainer from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and then they bring in Stanley Tucci for probably about five minutes. Yep. And who, yeah, he disappears from the movie at the end. And that's about it. You don't see, and Catherine Keener doesn't return. Mm-hmm. I don't think you see Kevin McKidd at all. Nope. Definitely not Sean Bean. Nope. Or any of the other sort of, I mean, Uma Thurman got her head chopped off in this one. Yeah. So they go to Medusa in the, 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 the statue garden made of ham. And then they, yeah, so the next stop, then they go to, to Memphis, or not Memphis, excuse me, Nashville mm-hmm. with the modern recreation of the Parthenon. Which has been cool. To I've never been, but I've like heard about people who go and it looks really cool. I'd like to see it. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really intrigued by it myself. Um, I've never, I've, I've been to Nashville once in my life, but I didn't get to go see, I didn't go to the Parthenon. So they go to like, and which also makes sense as a sort of famous, famous modern yeah place that you would like a touchstone of classical mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I understand it, it's like exact. Yeah, like, uh, it's like, cool. like perfectly. Yeah, it's like perfectly to scale. 
would be like what the Parthenon would look like uh, were it to be sort of in its restored today, more or less. Right. Uh, so they go there, they fight the Hydra, another kind of classic Greek monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then they go to the Lotus Eaters, which we mentioned already. Um, again, a case of like, they, they knew about Medusa, but they didn't know about the Lotus Eaters. Mm-hmm. They lose like six days or something of eating those, those whatever they were, flowers. Cookies. They look like They're cookies. Yeah. yeah, like eating cookies and <laughs> having having PG fun at a casino. Yep. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so then we get to probably the scene we can, we can talk a bit about. We get to the underworld. Yeah. Which, ha ha ha, it's in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, it's kind of funny, I guess. Mm-hmm. It seems a little on the nose (laughs) yeah it was was that the case in the was that the case in the book um maybe i truly don't remember give me two seconds i'm gonna read the plot description (laughs) yes it is okay then yeah entrance to hell is in los angeles naturally yeah there's other things there's there's a couple of adventures that are different in the book i'm remembering now like there's a scene with uh aries yes that's based on a bit from the Odyssey about this story where Ares sort of his his wife Aphrodite is or no he's having an affair with Aphrodite uh, who's married to Hephaestus. It's kind of a play on that, and Hephaestus traps them both. Yep. Well, yeah, because they they do have like a battle on top of the St. Louis Arch, and that right. Like, I remember. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I remember because he falls from the arch like into the into the Mississippi or something. Something right? like that. Yeah. Which I mean, I I sort of get. You probably couldn't film on the St. Louis Arch. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, make, it makes sense not to, to have that one. But I feel like that would have been a very interesting and cinematic kind of mm-hmm. moment. But yeah, why I Hades, it's like uh, the same problem of Hades is the devil. And it's <laughs> it's just sort of sad. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's no. I mean, there's sort of this whole... And they kind of say, they call it, he's got like a Mick Jagger look. So they, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. We've talked about portrayals of the underworld and we're going to talk about them again. But a lot of modern portrayals by the underworld are really re- influenced by like the Dante tradition. Like the Inferno of like different, you know, rings of hell. Most of them are wreathed in flame and people are getting tortured in all sorts of extreme ways. That's not how the Greek underworld generally, as it was understood in mythology for most people, you would die and you kind of just like, it's like a, it's like a state of perpetual ennui. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just sort of like an inevitability. It's like, you don't, Mm -hmm. if you are going to be rewarded or punished, it's like you had to do something really, really bad. And it's usually like, yeah. Then you end up in Tartarus and then there's something like a vultures pick out your liver every day or you're tied to a flaming wheel. You roll around for infinity. Yeah. But for like pushing stones up hills, everyday people, it's just sort of this, inevitability that that's where you go when you die yeah, yeah. And, and you just kind of hang out yeah you just gotta hang out yeah. end of story if you're really like a good hero or something like that you might end up in in the elysian fields right but which is just kind of like a cooler place to hang out yeah it's it's like but the yeah. same place the mm-hmm. same ish underworld it's just a cooler part of it to hang out yeah. and so yeah the the judeo-christian sort of satanic underworld fire and brimstone yeah, yeah. it doesn't exist mm-hmm. and it's sort of which frustrating. Yeah, hades here looks like satan yeah he has like or he's got his like his real form and he's like fiery and he has horns mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of i guess it's frustrating to sort of see that still be a part of the story yeah so they so they go to Hades, and we meet steve coogan and persephone who is another rosario dawson also right. like yeah yeah <laughs> what <laughs> i don't know how they, it was very very interesting things i, I don't know, like interesting things going on with with that whole scene because so hades this is the reveal where hades is like give me the lightning bolt and percy's like i don't have it and hades is like would you think i'm dumb <laughs> and percy's like yeah i was hoping like once you knew i didn't have it you'd be chill and then it turns out the, the lightning bolt was in the shield the whole time and they had never noticed it until it got knocked out of his hand and then you could see it just <laughs> this seems like very convenient it is it is very it is it's also because it, it, it's it's the hero being 
person in a lot of these kinds of stories the the hero kind of tends to be very reactive Mm -hmm. to things happening around them they sort of they're sort of pulled into this world they don't necessarily go in by their own volition i mean this this story like many others is a very sort of clear one-to-one mapping on of your hero's journey there's even a very brief moment where you get the like because you get the call to adventure Mm -hmm. the refusal Yep. Or Percy, at, at, you know, for like 20 seconds, he's like, I don't, this is your world. I don't, I don't have yeah. any part of it. And Chiron's like, eh, you gotta. And Percy's like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> okay. Then he goes into the journey. They go into sort of the, the, the shadow world, the inverse, where everything is sort of different from what you know. You come out, you, you, know, you fight your various obstacles. It's a very, like, textbook hero's journey story. For sure. And, yeah, but per- Percy Jackson... We talked a lot about Perseus, particularly like Perseus, both the myth and in film portrayals as being kind of a cipher-esque mm-hmm. hero. Yeah. You know, he's like he's like Link from Zelda, where, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of interiority to him. And I, I almost wonder if Percy Jackson is well, I'm not sure. What do you think? Is Percy Jackson is he is he as cipher-y? I'm asking, I guess, both either in the movie or in the book. I think in the movie he is because I think it's harder to translate the sort of like he has this weird, like wisecracky humor in the book, if I remember. Yes, which did not. I remember is it, it was a big turnoff for me because he's he's like he's a his like a smart ass youth. Yeah. Which thing going on, I guess, would maybe be appealing to some people reading it. Mm hmm. I remember I was kind of like, eh, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't I, fully behind Percy. But I feel he like has a movie, very, he's sort of much more bland. They introduce, like, and this is a thing I remember from the books, is that, that Percy Jackson has kind of ADHD and dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 they have that stuff in the beginning where they have, like, he's having, he has a hard time sort of concentrating at school. Right. He, has, he can't really read the board right. And I think this was, I was reading up that, that Rick Riordan, when he was the origin of the, the genesis of this story was he was telling stories to his son right. who has ADHD and was sort of inventing this new story out of Greek mythology. And then so the character has this sort of ADHD dyslexia. And then in the book, I mean, this is a, this is a trope. I'll just say, I don't know if we have anything really to say about it, but when disability becomes ability or something like Mm -hmm. that, when your impairment becomes like key to your superpower and Percy Jackson's ability, lets him read ancient Greek Mm -hmm. and do others in the, in the sequel, it lets him envision longitude and latitude lines on the ocean. I saw that too. That was so dumb. (laughs) Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. So he's, he's got this, this sort of power, but that, that seems to, I guess I don't know why I'm defending. I'm going to just give the movie the benefit of the doubt and say like, well, he, he has trouble sort of like with his, like with focus and paying attention in school because he's like confined. And I think the movie says something to the effect that's like, that's your inner divinity. You're like a being of action, like sitting still doesn't fit well with you or sit well with you. You got to like be in. So once he's like adventuring, he can kind of find equilibrium. Yeah. But then, when Percy, if that's what's happening again, if we're, if we're, I'm not sure there's this is sort of adequately or or compellingly explained in the movie. But once Percy Jackson, if that's what's happening, and once Percy Jackson sort of hits equilibrium, he's kind of a like he he's just sort of on a quest. And I think this is we talked about before the problems with chosen one narratives. Yeah. I think we were talking about immortals mm-hmm. and. The sort of problem with I think chosen one they're they're simultaneously easy and hard to write when they're they're, they're easy because it's easy to spin out a story and have a hero do things yeah and you just need to come up with the obstacles and the, the setbacks and things like that but they're also hard in that it's hard I think to give that kind of chosen one character interiority in the way that we kind of find lacking in like Clash of the Titans or Immortals or to an extent in this one yeah is there. And uh, if your hero is being sort of pulled into this and they don't have the agency necessarily, and I think this also is a big thing with like the actor playing it, it when your hero is sort of being pulled along in the story and they're not sort of actively doing things as much, they tend to lose, a, you tend to lose a sense of like who this person kind of is. Yeah. And well, I, I do think that Logan Lerman did like a good job of being sort of like 
a fumbling, idiotic teenage kid. Mm -hmm. um, it it's also very bland. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I, I I think he's good generally. I like him. I think. I think he of the main trio. I think I like him the best. I agree. Yeah, Alexandra D uh, Daddario. I don't know. She's just kind of there. And again, it's part. I'm not sure how much is her fault, and because I mean, the, we we're talking like some actors have like the capacity to really like make even sort of uncompelling lines very compelling. Yes. I'm thinking particularly. I was talking about sort of the the heroes sort of pulled along in their story. I was thinking as, especially of like Marty McFly, where <laughs> Marty McFly yeah. actually he, he doesn't really have that much agency in Back to the Future, but part of yeah. it is like Michael J. Fox is just like so darn cute or charismatic <laughs> or you know, he's got that michael j fox energy yeah we we're talking last week about movies you know the difference between a movie star and an actor and i think like michael j fox had like movie star energy for sure logan lerman i think is an excellent actor i agree yeah i don't know if movie star energy is what he's and the same i think apply like alexander dardario i think she's a good actor yeah i've seen her and stuff where she has she can be good i've seen it but she doesn't really like have, I wrote a little line to myself that like, who wrote her lines? Cause she just kind of, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's also, and I did watch part of the second, the sequel and they sort mm -hmm. of, they introduce the rival character. Is it? Clarice? Yes. Clarice. Who I think is also <laughs> would have been more interesting to like have around more because it's sort of like the, I don't know, the um, foil to the cipher is like this mm -hmm. um, really motivated, seemingly really competent person who like has all of this. Like Clarice has one mood in that movie and that is be like a jerk at all times. She's always like, every time anyone does anything, she's, she's, she just cuts it right down with like, oh, like, like at least you did it right this one time or something like that. Like, <laughs> You, you're always like it's like oh like you wouldn't know what it's like it's like i guess you wouldn't know what it's like to to win or, you know like you're always in second place yeah i guess and she really just has it out for percy <laughs> for percy in that movie which i enjoyed that sort of added i guess drama to it i thought it it did sort of help the characterization of everybody because even luke in the first one is very flat as a villain you're kind of like uh okay i don't i didn't i didn't buy it i was like it the big reveal when he was like i stole it doesn't really didn't do it for me yeah luke i guess we yeah we can sorry i zoned out for a little bit i <laughs> <laughs> i because i woke up and basically because i have no control over my life i woke up and just did a double feature of these two movies i'm so sorry that you did that no, it's my own, like, <laughs> this is, I, no one, no one stole the lightning bolt and made me watch these movies. <laughs> so we're talking about Luke, right? Yeah, we're talking about Luke. Luke, he's like, he's big man on campus. That's, that's the energy I get from mm -hmm. him. He's, cause he's, you meet him. I mean, he's also like, this is one of those like reveals that you can see coming a mile away. Cause it's like. Who's the lightning thief gonna be? Yeah. Obviously, it's gonna be one of the characters we've met yep. already. It's not gonna be somebody we haven't met. Yeah. Of the people we have we've met already, who is left that could possibly have stolen the lightning bolt? Oh, here we go. This son of Hermes guy who we have, we have already established as a competent thief yep. who has self-admittedly broken into his own dad's house to steal wing shoes. So, like, yeah, when Luke comes when Luke comes out, it's like Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think also this is like, this is the case where not again for the, for another time to bring it back to Harry Potter. <laughs> I think what makes the, the Harry Potter, the first book and, and a lot of the early ones so compelling is that I think JK Rowling is a really good mystery writer. Mm -hmm. And I think this is most, this is especially the case I think in the first four books where there's some kind of mystery element because right. she's really good. And it's been a while since I've read them, but I think it still holds true at, like it's like a magic trick where writing a good mystery novel is that you don't want to have something come out of nowhere. You want to have you don't want to have it so it's like nobody could have ever figured it out, right. but you do want to genuinely surprise your audience. Yeah. And the trick is it's like it's like it's like the prestige where it's like you need to <laughs> distract the audience by you give them you sort of flag look over here this information these people are suspicious and like Snape is a perfect example because yes, like for sure Snape and like when I first I was. 
the first time I read it, again, I was like 10. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, obviously it's Snape. He's being really suspicious. Yep. He's there. The, the, there's so many indicators to suggest he's just generally unlikable. So, like, of course it's Snape. <laughs> and then you get the reveal that it's Coral, who's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm has like if you look back and because like that's like a good mystery is if you look back and you're like oh right the clues were there i was just being led it wasn't that she was hiding evidence from me is that the author was redirecting me to look somewhere else Mm -hmm. which is why i think like that plot works much better because when you actually find out a quarrel there's actually a moment of genuine surprise i think for for most audience members i don't know were you surprised yeah yeah oh yeah i was surprised i was like 100 percent it's snape Mm -hmm. yeah I remember that. I remember that surprise. Similar, like there's similar twists in, in kind of the later books, um, like Ginny Weasley being the one yeah. who had the, you know. Peter Pettigrew instead of um, Sirius Black being the actual. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Peter Pettigrew. Yep. And, and yeah. And if you go back, it's like he's there, you know, when he, he, he it all the, all the things fit, like mm-hmm. the story fits. And I think. This move, this book, or it's not this book, but this plot in this movie kind of fails at that because it's like obviously it was Luke. Like if there was another character, like say if you had like a Clarice character yes, or somebody that one. you, yeah, mm-hmm, somebody who you establish as like is antagonistic to Percy would have like means, method, and motive mm-hmm. to do this thing, and then it's like no, it's not them. Actually, they were actually chill the whole time. Yeah. It's this other character who we've also introduced and met, but is just, you know, and then has, there's, there's, there was more to it that we just didn't notice or something like that. For sure. That's my big oh, yeah, no. grievance against Luke, because we established very clearly on that Luke has means, methods, and motive to, <laughs> to commit this crime. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shocking that no one else figures that out. <laughs> to come full circle, this is in the biz, what we'd like to call ring composition. Your first gripe about this movie is that it made, why do people suspect there's no reason given why people suspect that Percy is the thief other than that maybe he is again I'm doing the work of this movie for it <laughs> he is Poseidon's son yeah therefore he might be working in league with his dad who wants to overthrow Zeus but does his dad want to overthrow Zeus I don't know so again so we are told right maybe he might who knows we meet Luke and we have that scene, you know, like, cause Luke is, is originally really chill uh, to Percy. Yeah. We have that scene where they go to Luke's tent and Luke gives them all the, the tools that they need as the hero's journey sort of dictates. And then Luke like goes on on like a little spiel about, not only does he reveal how good he is at thieving, he goes on like a spiel about how much he resents his dad. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, if, if Annabeth really is, you know, this master tactician, strategist, you know, or, like, if somebody should have been like, wait a minute, could Luke have stolen, like, he seems to be capable of doing something like this. Yeah, did nobody think? Uh, Was there no yeah. in-world so, suspicion? I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. So, like, my, if I were to, like, make an editing choice, it would be, like, to take Luke, make Luke nicer and more helpful in a sort of, convi- not that he's not helpful, but he's helpful in like a way that's convenient, that's clearly convenient for yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. And have some sort of, you need some sort of other character or characters that are like a, that are a playoff, that are our red herring mm-hmm. that Percy thinks is, because the way it's sort of constructed now is very sort of predictable and derivative kind of storytelling. Yeah, lazy storytelling. I have one really awesome hot take or tidbit of information yeah, I want to hear it. <laughs> that they made a musical of this story in 2014. All right, this is actually new. Wait, that's only like a year after the second movie. Yes. So they made they made a musical out of the movie? No, it's it's more based on the book and it's just called The Lightning Thief, so it's just the first book. It, it is like a full-fledged actual musical that was on Broadway last year. What? I know. <laughs> I have to know. I, I like this is to some of it. It's weird. It's very weird. What are the songs like about? <laughs> it's just sort of like telling the story. Like the first song is The Day I Got Expelled, which is like him fighting the 
the fury and like explaining. Okay. This is gonna this is gonna occupy my life for the next week. <laughs> it is that's amazing. Very weird. But yeah, the there's a song about the Minotaur fight. They have a campfire song where everybody in the camp goes around and like talks about their divine parents. Mm-hmm. They go to an oracle. Uh it's that, that like it's almost incredible. reminds me of like <laughs> there was something like I, I just wanted to use like I'm the son of Poseidon. That's in a in a sort of roundabout way. That's like almost kind of perfect because I was first, at first I was like, what an odd vehicle for a sort of YA fantasy adventure book. But then I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's genius because to get back to the go back to the, the our beginnings, Greek theater. Yes is a musical yeah (laughs) it is there is a it starts as choirs you know singing dancing groups of people then supposedly some dude named thespis had the idea to say lines of dialogue and then boom theater is born and then if we believe aristotle aeschylus is like we need two actors on stage so they can talk to one another (laughs) and then Sophocles and Euripides build on it and then we get three actors and then basically modern or or not modern but tragedy and and theater is sort of born out of that but it is a musical everybody is singing or saying Mm -hmm. their lines in verse there's the choir the chorus I should say not the choir the chorus comes up and they do song dance numbers there's the great the like the only one I can remember the only like not even a line so it's like the beginning or not the beginning when Oedipus comes out in Oedipus Rex he goes um, Oi the pussy me he says I am Oedipus and I'm thinking of this like ah, there's a musical where he comes out he's like I am Percy Jackson yes that's like basically what happens um, fantastic I know and they're on wires are they on wires when they're fighting so I just listened around? to songs I haven't watched any I think there's some stuff on YouTube that you can find I haven't watched any of it um, but yeah it's like in it's like an avatar where the, the yes! show where they, they go and they see the play of themselves, <laughs> play of themselves. and everyone's on wires they're like shooting pippins at yep. one another I was also reminded I was, I was thinking if you could have a like like I'm Percy Jackson I'm the son of Poseidon because I was there was like a week solid where me and my 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 girlfriend, we watched Prince of Egypt oh, and man. I got fixated on the, the part where he goes like, I am a sovereign prince of Egypt. And I'd be going around the house to be like, I am. A, he's like, well, you know what? I am a sovereign prince of Egypt. Yeah. Those songs will get stuck in your head. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that in years though. That's awesome. <laughs> so apparently um, it got uh, the musical, The Lightning Thief, got better reviews. Like 30 Tonys, I imagine. It got better no reviews <laughs> than the movie did. And they sort of said, um, I like read one critic that was like a better like introduction to mythology than the misbegotten films. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I, all right. Okay, if anyone on the internet has seen this musical or has access to it, please let us know. <laughs> I would love to see it. I think that'd be hilarious. I think that would be amazing. Yes. I don't think I can top that. Maybe that should be, we should end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty excellent. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have much more that I feel like I could say about. No, I have general, but, but it's all stuff we've said already about sort of like the gods having arbitrary rules and mm-hmm just sort of like the, the the sort of goofiness and the problems with putting gods on the, even if they're only for a second the yeah. gods are kind of confusing and uncompelling because they seem to be playing by weird they don't seem to be they don't act like people and they don't or they don't act in a way that makes any sense and they seem to be following these arbitrary rules that make any that don't make any sense but yeah. i don't really have much more to say than that other than that just man it is hard to put the gods in a convincing way on on the screen yep. which reminds me i don't know if you've heard but there's this new netflix show a friend of mine told me about it called blood of zeus and uh, it's by the creator of if you saw castlevania the show on yeah. netflix same i think creators and it's about it's a greek myth cool. it's, that's all i really know about it but it, i heard it's i heard it's pretty good so i'm gonna have to take a look at yeah, it and sure. we should probably put it on on our roster on list excellent so uh do you have anything to add before we sign off i don't think so you're half donkey? Uh, yes, half donkey, not half goat. <laughs> oh, okay, half donkey. All right, that's a twist. See, that's the twist we were talking about. <laughs> we need we need to play with our expectations. Okay, 
So uh, there, this might be one of our longer episodes, although it might not because there's whole long sections of uh, me like like just zoning out <laughs> that I'll have to edit out. But next week, the, we did this episode a little bit out of order. We said we were going to do the Disney Hercules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't do it this week, but for a very good reason, because we're going to be coming back next week. We're going to be recording a double feature and I'm, I'm going to edit and release the episodes one per week because I think that's all I can really manage but we are having our first guest host which I'm super excited about yeah Yeah, so look forward to that Uh, and until then um, yeah bye bye guys bye guys